Glory Days fans, there was a time when insurance wasn't considered a necessary evil, but a source for communal good. Branch is working hard to restore insurance back to that original intent. Branch harnesses the power of community to make insurance affordable for everyone, like it used to be. They make it easy, just two quick questions, and they'll get you an instant price on home or auto insurance quicker than any other provider. Branch is bringing insurance back to its roots. Your price is waiting at ourbranch.com forward slash glory. That's O-U-R branch.com forward slash glory. It was, this is the thing that really just fucks me up. It was the fact that um, Urban said we were going to do it and he figured out a way for us to do it. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer, hosted by Chris Caldwell and presented by Branch Insurance, coverage you need, savings you deserve. Welcome Buckeye fans, it's Chris Caldwell and you're listening to the final episode of the Glory Days Man, podcast. Don't say that. <laughs> I know. Final for now, for now. Uh, of the Glory Days podcast Dreams and Nightmares with your co-hosts and former standouts from the 2014 National Champions, both receiver Evan Spencer and linebacker Joshua Perry. Guys, how we doing today? Oh, we're good, doing. Good, good. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. We're, we're doing as, as well as we can and these crazy times of current day, but uh, we, we came with positive attitudes and uh, hopefully some positive uh, comments. <laughs> we'll yeah. well, so we, sadness is definitely setting in because, yeah. you know, we've had a blast doing yeah. this thing. This has I know. been a lot more fun than I could have anticipated. There's no doubt about it. Guys, we're going to have a lot more fun, not only with this episode, but future things. So I would, uh, at the end of the broadcast, I'm going to let people know where they're going to be able to find us on social media handles and we are just beginning. So I can't believe that we're here though. I mean, first of all, as we record this, it's the first week of a new year. It's 2021 for a timestamp. And which is a year for obvious reasons that we all have great hopes for. But as we embark on a new year, let's head back in time one more time to January 2015 to be specific, where we discuss all things surrounding the inaugural college football championship. In 2014, when the parents of a student athlete came to Columbus to see their son suit up for the Buckeyes on game day, some of them coming no less than thousands of miles, did the NCAA allow the parents any access to anything that eases the financial burden of this trip any less besides game tickets <laughs> so at, at, at the, I at hear the, the laugh. point no so like you know you just gotta think about it, right like you know hey we really want you to come i know we're in san diego ohio state's great i promise boom okay commit they come out here they start playing they start balling well not everybody comes from from you know economic affluent backgrounds where they can maybe afford that they can budget for that a lot of folks mm-hmm. aren't in that situation and unfortunately enough in football the percentage of that is is is, is pretty high Right. So, you know, things were changed later on. But at that moment, right, you know, they had to figure out their way to get there. Sometimes it's pooling. Sometimes it's uh, pooling money, pooling cars, whatever it is. You know, you just figure out how you can be there for your kids. But, yeah, it's a dynamic that sucked for sure for a lot of families. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of cost to attending the game. Evan, like you said, it's 
you know, if you're if you're driving, it's gas money, mm-hmm. it's lodging for everybody who's from out of town. And if it's an away game, there's not, you know, like some parents would stay at the apartment of their child. If it's an away game, you got to stay out of town or drive back through the night. If you're flying, that's an expense there. But it's the other economic burdens, too. Like some people, they got to take time off of work and not yep. get paid for that yep. to come see their child play and to have no financial support whatsoever up to that point to be able to follow your child chasing their dream and doing you know, balling out right. basically. It's a little tough pill to it swallow. Is. Well, I keep thinking about somebody like Dontre mm-hmm. Wilson, right? Guy from Texas and, and Evan, you just talked about people from San Diego. It's not an inexpensive proposition for his family members to come from DeSoto, Correct. Texas, wherever that is, to Columbus, or even think about West mm-hmm. Lafayette. Sure. Or Madison. And, you know, I, I I was thinking, and Joshua, we were talking about this offline. Your parents are in, were involved in something called the Football Parents Association. What did they do? Because I think you said they were they they tried to assist in terms of helping with things. What did they do? Yeah, I mean, there's there's only so much that they could do, um, and and they're not associated with the university, but they're an extension, and it's a way for the parents to get together. But they would try to get like group rates at a hotel um, in town or out of town. Um, I know for one of the Team Up North games, they ended up chartering a bus that left from the Woody. Um, And that was really cool because parents could, you know, party a little bit on the bus, but it it really cut down on the cost of getting from Columbus, at least, um, up to Ann Arbor and then back. Um, It's just things like that to where they said, okay, we have uh, a number of people so we can pull resources that way. We know that if you do things in bulk, it becomes a lot cheaper. And that includes hotel rates and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, even, you know, like, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, Applebee's or whatever could cut a deal with one of these schools and say, hey, you know, if you you show your parents card and you get 20 percent off your meal when you're in town, out of town, whatever the case is like the the school can't even strike a deal like that. And it, it, it falls on the parents to try to do so. Ohio State had a great network of parents. A lot of these other schools, parents are they're they're not that connected. Huh. They're not that into it, and and the resources don't run as deep because not everybody's a damn right. Buckeyes. So sure. it's 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 very very difficult, and then really shameful from that regard. I mean, you said it like these people will they'll recruit you nationwide, and then you, you got to you got to deal with the repercussions right. of being nationwide. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's why I'll never understand the argument about, you know, when people are against like name and likeness and things right. like that. You've got oh to be goodness. able to. You, there's such a big bin, bin And I will business, support but, anyone who, lent, who wants to look backwards and make sure that guys that have name right. and likeness yeah. that made money out of yeah, it, that didn't exactly. make money out of it, can, uh, can but, do so. But I digress. But <laughs> think about that, though, not to get too far offline with this conversation, but with name, image and likeness, a kid from Texas, Florida, Georgia, who comes up to Ohio State, could strike, in theory, uh, a a sponsorship deal with one of the Midwestern gas station chains and get their parents gas cards so they could drive back and forth to games. Mm -hmm. Like people act like it's this this thing that's going to murder college athletics and it'll never be the same. And in reality, it could literally help a kid get his parents to the damn games. I don't see the issue. And and, and I will I will digress on this, but I will tell you. There are people out there that want to do this. People like, you know, that want to give the kids money for advertising and things like that. It's not like it's coming out of the fans' pocket. No. It's li- there are businesses out there that say these kids can help their brand. But yeah. here's why I asked that question because live sports and in particular college football has become 
really big business. And how big? Hmm. Billion dollar big. Um, now, hang with me here for a second, fellas, as I'm going to do some quick math. And Uh-oh. Evan, I'll check just, you. Don't yeah, worry. No, you were an econ major. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Make sure I'm doing the correct regression yeah. analysis okay, and all this. But there we go. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. In 2012, when college football playoff, the, the college football playoff was instituted and conceived, after it was determined that the new playoff format each year would consist of seven games, but we're really talking about three games, two semifinals and a championship game. ESPN agreed to pay a whopping $5.64 billion over 11 years for these games, which comes out to an average of $470 million a year just to broadcast these seven games. And to be fair, according to the website Business of College Sports, each Power Power 5 conference is going to get $66 million a year as part of that deal. And if you actually have a team that participates in the semifinals, the conference is gonna get an additional six million bucks. So you see right now why Cincinnati this year and the AAC were so vocal in 2020. Not even the question of the competitive fairness, but just about the money that comes yeah. into that. So doing the math in 2014 in gross figures because the Buckeyes played in a semifinal game, the Big Ten's going to receive roughly 72 million bucks, which when split by the members is going to figure out to be about $5.14 million per team. Now, I'm going to caution in 2014, each team in the Big Ten probably didn't receive the same amount because you were just phasing in Maryland, you were just phasing in Rutgers. Sure. And there's and there's also um, you know conference fees for running championships and things like that. But my point is, there's a lot of money coming into the schools. And here's the kicker. In addition, it's announced that each semifinal participant is going to receive just for expenses, 2.4 million bucks. Sure. So adding that up conceivably, again, we don't know how the numbers are truly allocated, but Ohio State could have potentially received 7.5 million bucks. Hmm. And then that's, that's a lot of math. It's crazy. Okay. But why do I bring this up? Because guess how much the college football playoff budgeted for families to possibly travel to two games as part of this. Uh, something yes. gross, so <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. They, they budgeted zero Jeez. dollars. Imagine that. Nothing, nothing. So let's be completely transparent. According to 11 Warriors, Ohio State did budget $800 per student athlete out of their student opportunity mm. fund. And that is something, but that's not getting many people to New Orleans. That's not getting people to Dallas. Well, let me let me jump in on that, too, because it's yeah. really disingenuous to talk about that student opportunity fund like it's it's unlimited. There's a cap on it and you can tap into that for other reasons, like you need a new pair of shoes and your family can't afford it or like you got to sure. pay a cell phone bill and your family can't afford it. So like. That wasn't that wasn't something right. that they did out of goodwill to help families get there. It's something that's always existed and it's yeah. been a resource. And they were saying, well, since we can't do anything for you, like this is your only resource. Um, and not to get back on the money thing, but like I know what the, the conference TV deal looks like right now, too, on top of all yeah. the money. Like, right. <laughs> like, how is there? So like, I'm, I'm the, not the going craziest, to it, The craziest part yeah. about this is a layer higher than what ESPN paid, right? So their break even is $5.64 mm-hmm. billion. And they paid that because they knew they could make more 
That's the scary. Of course, part. that's wild. <laughs> of course, yeah. It's a it's it's a calculated bet, but it's not. You know, as somebody who worked in that business, there are business models they would not be paying exactly. that if they weren't ninety percent sure they were going to get there. But you guys talked about it for a second. You know, think about go back to twenty thirteen. You're in Miami, mm-hmm. or go to twenty fourteen. You're preparing sure. for Alabama. Did you have teammates that were sitting there and saying to themselves, "My God, my family's not going to be able to come well, see me." I I don't know so much. Shoot. I mean, I feel like there was so much of a community around not only the players, but also like Josh was talking about, or Mm -hmm. not only around the players, yeah, but like Josh was talking about the parents as well, right? So whatever help that my parents, Josh's parents or parents in between were going to do to help, you know, I'm not even going to pull on, uh, you know, my my guys in my room, but anybody, right? Anybody who was having some kind of economic difficulty to get there, you know, there was always at least a helpful hand right now. Defining that helpful hand, getting into the intricacies of it is is not really a sticky conversation. But, you know, in in a lot of cases, right, it's just an evaluation of what's going on. Hey, you may not have come from the best or most financially successful background, but you still deserve to go see your kids score two touchdowns. You still deserve to be right next to all the other parents when they get off the plane. And, you know, by gosh, if I got to put you in the back of my car, if, you know, we're looking at plane tickets together, whatever it is, we'll figure it out. We'll get you there and we'll have a great time together. Well, here's the good news. Urban takes notice, and on December 7th, prior to your practice for Alabama, he tells the press, quote, I'm going to meet with Gene, and we're going to talk. I want to see how our families, our players' families, are going to be able to afford two bowl games. And by the way, I got to love the fact that he plans for Mm -hmm. two of these. Sure. Um, That's awesome. For you two... When is this first brought up? Do you when this is first brought up, do you guys you guys are so singularly focused on Alabama? You talked about that in the last mm-hmm. episode. Does Urban's advocating for his players' families go unnoticed? And if not, did it make you guys appreciate him a little bit more? The fact that, you know, here we are, the first college football playoff. He sees the flaw and he's like, mm-hmm. you know what? We're not gonna go two years, three years down on this. We're gonna do it yeah. right now. Well, coach is always Coach has always been that guy. Well, would do that. Good, good yeah, point. Yeah. But he, yeah, I mean, he's always yeah. been that guy. Like, hey, you know, I see something messed up now, and we're going to do something about it now. So yeah, for yeah. us, right, it, it just it, it firmed our relationship together, right? I mean, we'll get yeah. into you know how we were able to deal with adversity so well, but you know, it's small moments like this because to a guy from DeSoto, Texas, all the way to a guy from Louisiana, like to know that your coach is gonna do anything possible within the realms of compliance to get your folks there, just because that's gonna allow you to feel complete, feel happy and all that other stuff, right? Like, why would you not go, you know, run through brick wall for somebody? Why would you not on fourth and three, smash the heck out of a a running back in the goal line so that they don't get, you know, momentum, continue to score, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like it all comes into the same equation. I just remember when this was going down and you didn't hear anything from Jimbo Fisher. No. You didn't hear anything from Nick Saban. Uh, you know what you heard at the end was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you know what mm-hmm. he said, what he said. But nobody really kind of brought it up. And you know, for me, more good news is Gene Smith raises his own concerns, which is why he's one of the best ADs Agreed. in the business. Six days before the title game, the college football playoff announces that it's gonna help cover the costs of the families wishing to attend the national championship, providing as much as 2,500 bucks per family for hotel, travel, and meal expenses. Again, Columbus to Dallas, I don't wanna look a gift horse in the mouth. I don't know how much that's gonna get, but it is what it is, it's better than nothing. And my question is, how did this work with you guys? If you can remember, if if you don't, it's okay. But you know, was was somebody standing there and just 
going like this with the money. <laughs> you, 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 guys... want, you want me to ask my dad right now? Because I can ask it. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to say, you can find, here, I'll talk. You start asking. No. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I just didn't, you know, for, for something like that, I'm just wondering if it's like you submit your bill and you get reimbursement well, or you just tell us. Brad, Brad Bertani is called number one. Yeah. Right? You start there. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. No, I mean, there's, there's, there's a very structured process, right? It's like. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's an application, but for, you know, ease of description, you get your application in and, you know, yeah. you are walked through the process with Brad under the context that like, hey, I still yeah. got to go do seven on seven. I still got to make it to practice. I still got to go finish up finals or whatever I got to go do. So you just lean on, you know, the lean on the support system or the structure that's there around you um, for Ohio yeah. State. That was Brad and the rest of the compliance office. Um, you know, but those were the folks who, who, who not only took us, but also our parents through the process of how to access that money, how yeah. much it could, or where it could be used, how it was going to be dispersed, et cetera. It just would have been so much fun to hear that Brad just made it rain. <laughs> like yeah. Brad came um, in like a hundred grand. Be well, like, <laughs> let me, exactly. let me jump out here and I'm, I'm going to sound like a damn bleeding heart here liberal off of this episode, just from Give the top up. of it. But, um, that's the, that's the other problem though, is. Some of these compliance directors at other schools are um, they're terrible at their job and they're gatekeepers for reimbursement money and might not be as adept in walking parents through who don't have yeah. an understanding on how a lot of these things work. And so we're grateful that we had a guy like Brad who was really, really good at his job who could help out. But I'm thinking about other schools. And if you didn't have somebody like that there who knew how to communicate effectively, like mm -hmm. people probably did miss out on some of the funds that were yeah. available. I'm just throwing sure. that out there. Sure. Lots of lots of programs right now don't have a, a football specific person for compliance. So Ohio State, Gene, you know, again, very smart putting someone there just for football. But either way, it's a happy ending to something that seemingly slipped through a five point five billion dollar financial crater that these guys created for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, now that the finances are taken care of, onto the business of preparing for Oregon and your head coaches first and foremost, concerned about the load that these two additional games take on the players, both physically and mentally. When asked about adding the potential of two more games, he tells 11 Warriors, quote, this is stressful on a student athlete. You're talking about 14 or 15 games. That's getting very NFL-ish. And, but at this point, to mm -hmm. be fair, you know, playing 14 games is nothing new to you guys. You played 14 the prior year. But take a second here and educate the listeners because what does your body feel like at the end <laughs> of a long season? How long does it take for your injuries to heal or do you even get time at a program like Ohio State? I mean, a great program, but you guys are certain ways. Yeah. First and foremost, I mean, our, our trainers do a heck of a job about getting our, 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 our injuries back together so we can get yeah. going for the next year. But Is that Doug Calland? Yeah, Doug, yeah. Okay. Doug, great guy. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. But, I mean, just, again, right, think of, think about that Tyvis hit on fourth and three at the goal line, right? Tyvis is, what, 105, 110 pounds? You know, stone this, stone this running back on the goal line. Great, you know, offense goes out there. All the Buckeyes are happy. But hits like that happen, you know, no shortage of like 10 times a game per person. Mm -hmm. And if you got to go play 12 games and 14 games, I know there's sports out there that play more. And I know there's also sports out there that have more injuries. But the physical nature of football is to go through another man against his own will. Right. So eventually that starts to take a toll. Right. I'm sure Josh has got some AC or SC. My SC joint is still separated from my sternum from something I it's did in bad, football. Mm -hmm. You know what Shoulder I mean? So never just be the like. Same. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I can't even sleep on my shoulders sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? 
But like, you know, when you're young, you do still have a chance to bounce back. You, you kind of find your ability to play hurt, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you just kind of got to go through it. Now there's there's levels to it, right? You right. Know, obviously, you don't injure structurally anymore. So, but I mean, if you can go, you got to go. So it's, it's I, you go, the, I'm sorry, Joshua. The, the semifinal game, Ohio State versus Clemson 2020. And we all saw the hit that Justin Fields took in that game. And so mm-hmm. there are the big hits like that where it's literally bone crushing, like his his ribs are cracked. I, I don't have to see an X-ray to tell you that mm-hmm. um, that stand out. And when you play linebacker in the Big Ten, for example, and you're still going up against teams that use a, a freaking fullback. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Those are the types of things that happen. Like I fractured my ribs against Minnesota. 2014 season it's something that just happens Um, but it's a cumulative effect as well of all the repetitions so it's like you get the big hits and and those will knock you out but it's like okay how many times did I turn my ankle at an angle that it's Mm -hmm. unnatural to turn at that didn't really injure me but now my ankle is always sore when I wake up Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the the fourteen fifteen game season. That's what right. it does to you. And, and let, let me let me pull off of that right fourteen fifteen game season. And for me, I was a senior, right? So what happens right after that game? We'll say you know oh, we we'll use our going. example. You don't get no break. No break. We played Oregon, right? So after that, you get a week, and then it's 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 draft prep. It's combine prep, mm. and then after that, you're prepping for rookie minicamp. After yep. rookie minicamp, it's regular minicamp. After yep. regular minicamp, it's training camp. Then a sixteen week season, or uh, yeah, sixteen week season and seventeen week season in the NFL plus playoffs if you go. So, you know, just start to think about how those soft tissue injuries, oh, I tweaked my hammy in week week 12 of, you know, my college football thing and then I got drafted in the second round. Oh, well, crap. Like, you got to still find a way right. to push through that. And in a lot of cases, dudes get hurt. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I would ask you both, since you both played in the NFL, how does the college football grind compare to the professional football grind? <laughs> I mean, besides getting paid, right? <laughs> what are the differences? I, I, you know, again, a school like yeah. Ohio State, I'm sure you're still waking up on, you know, there's a great line that someone says in the NFL, they wake up and they feel like they've gotten hit by a Mack truck yeah. on Monday after games. I think Tom Brady sure. said that. Yeah. What, is there a difference in the NFL versus I, so, Ohio yeah. State? Speed is different. Uh, everybody you see is all of the freakish players that you play against in college in the yeah. league. Um, preparation, <laughs> yeah, very different, right? Okay. Ohio State practices and off season and all that other crap was noticeably harder than yes. the NFL. <laughs> noticeably harder. Wow. Than the NFL. Okay. One hundred percent. Wow. But, you know, it's it, it's kind of like, think about it. You got an 18-year-old who wants to go do his own darn thing, and he thinks he knows everything. Well, yeah. okay, get your ass out there at 5 o'clock, start pushing this board, and, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you when to stop type yeah. of deal. You know what I mean? So not to say that you got to break dudes or anything like that, but you it's gotta just. You got to break them. You got to break them. But when you get to the league, you're a grown man. And yeah. It's a job at that point. So if you're not doing that on your own, you're already behind the eight ball. Yeah. I, I would say leaving out of Ohio State, you're definitely, you have the mindset that you can grind. Um, and it becomes a habit after being told to do it so much and how to do it so much. So you're prepared from that regard. But Evan's right. Like the, the physical toll of actual workouts and everything is not, I don't think the practices are, are anything compared to the way that we practice at Ohio state. Um, I would push back a little bit and redefine fast for the NFL because you can't tell me that the, the 21 year old rookie isn't faster than the 30 year old vet. The 30 year old vet knows how to process the game faster and they're sure. craftier. Sure. And so they can play at a, a faster level than somebody who's physically faster than they are. And mm-hmm. it's the mental game. 
that really changes. And Ohio State prepares you, I think, on the X and O side. But the one thing college, unless you're a Nick Saban guy, because Saban tells you that they're one-year renewable scholarships, and Ron Zook was the same way. But at Ohio State, you knew that somebody could take your job, but you you also knew that you were going to be on scholarship. And every day you walk into that facility in the league, they'll cut your ass if they yeah. feel like it. <laughs> like they they'll they'll let you know it too. I had a, a linebacker coach my rookie year. Bob Babich, I'm going to drop his name. (laughs) Bob Bob coached with your dad. Uh, There's a reason I'm laughing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, I I think – Goodness gracious. I don't think think Bob's that good of a coach, but Bob, he would sit in the meeting room and there would be a rookie like, you know, dozing off or whatever. And he would he would be like, listen, if you don't want to pay attention, I'll just cut your ass. Mm -hmm. And and then every once in a while, he'd look at somebody and just go snip, snip. Like that Mm -hmm. was his deal. Like they will let you know that it's time to cut somebody. Yeah. Well, it's cutthroat I'm, up there, man. It I'm is. glad you guys talked about mentally. I don't want to talk about the mental ground of the NFL. I want to ask you, take, a, take us back to after the game in 2013 against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Besides the sting of the loss, how are you guys doing mentally at the end of the season? Do you need a break for like a month oh, yeah. before you can dive into things? Or is it you get back to the facility and you got Coach Mick on you on January 4th pushing? <laughs> Well, mentally, That's you physical, need a break, but, mental, yeah. but yes. uh, Coach Mick definitely pushes, right? You yeah. get your mandatory, unmandatory workouts, that's for sure. Yep. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is a little – there's a period, right? Like, for me, I broke my leg, right? So I had a period of being able to, like, define what the next couple of weeks were going to look like, the next mm-hmm. couple of months were going to look like for me, starting to get used to that, getting my ass up at, for training at 5 o'clock. So, you know, there is um, a process to get flowing again, but again, like, you know, we're great for a reason and that's because we treat our off season with so much severity. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's not, you know, Hey, it's, you know, middle of February. All right, boys, let's turn this thing up. I know yeah. we gave you guys some time to get your legs no, right. It was none yeah. of that. <laughs> no, dude, we're running to get our legs right. You know, we're, we're doing prehab in the weight room with bands and, you know, uh, Schlegel's throwing crap all over the place, getting dudes jacked up. Right. But yeah. that's how we were getting better and, and recovering our legs. So, um, you know, it's a testament to some of the programs, right? Ohio State's one way. Um, you know, Murray State might be a different. Right. Well, Joshua, it, as we talked about preparing for Alabama last week, you mentioned that the effort, focus, and intensity was something you had never seen before. As you guys are approaching Oregon, does that change? Is it still as intense? I'm guessing it is, but did you notice a difference in preparing for Oregon versus preparing for Alabama? Both of there, you. there was in my mind not a ton of difference, and I'll tell you exactly why. Is because Urban let us tear that fucking locker room down after the semifinal game. He let us do the Bourbon Street thing after the mm-hmm. semifinal game. We had guys who smelled like a brewery Straight getting up. on the charter going back to Columbus. Like, dog, he, I saw the sun come up that day. <laughs> no, like most of us did watch the sun come up. But he let us do all that because when we got back to Columbus, it wasn't none of that anymore. Yeah, it was right. on to the next. He let us celebrate for a day, and then it was already like he had in his mind formulated what the damn the the focus was going to be in preparation for Oregon. So for us, like he didn't let the intensity lull because he didn't give us long enough to think about what we did and and to celebrate what we did. It was just on to the next game. Yep. Well, Chess, not checkers. He always had a plan and was thinking forward about what those moves needed to be. Well, let's talk about practice for a second, because fans of college football or people that have followed college football are 
pretty well aware that the Oregon teams in the late 2000s and early two, you know 2010s under Chip Kelly and subsequently under Mark Helfrich were their point of difference was their frenetic pace and their tempo. And to prepare for this, your defensive practices were a little different as explained by Urban in his book where he states, quote, we had a theme for the entire week of practice and it was called eliminate 16. <laughs> 16 seconds is the amount of time an Oregon offense takes between plays, 16 seconds and then they're coming at you again. And the longer the game goes on, the greater toll it takes. And when he speaks of toll, he's clearly referencing that Oregon scored 28 points in the second half of the Pac-12 championship game, and then an astounding 41 points in the second half in the Rose Bowl against the defending national champion, Florida State Seminoles. Guys, what was practice like for Oregon in terms of that 16 seconds and the frenetic pace? Well... I know defensively it was fast as hell and we had mm -hmm. the clock just rolling on a on a loop basically it would go to 16 and then it would count down jump right back up to 16 and we had two scout team offenses running plays at us so while the one scout team offense was running the actual play on the field for the defense that. to get the look the other offense was back there getting the next play and like we would they would throw a deep ball. It'd be incomplete. We'd be running back to the line of scrimmage, looking at the sideline to get the call from the coach and the other offense would be like already in their cadence. And our guys would barely get their hand down and they'd be going because that's how it was in the game. Sometimes you'd, you'd watch the tape. Well, again, I'm a reference to the, the 2020 semifinal Ohio State versus Clemson. You watch that tape, Clemson, their guys didn't have the hand in the dirt. Like they were no. looking over at the sideline. Ohio State right. was just going right in that. I mean, what did Ohio State do? Like uh, um, 21 points in the in the second quarter of that semifinal game. Like there is a, a concept to have the offense ready to go before the defense can get set. Um, and we wanted to eliminate that. And I can remember times where we were going at a pace of like 12 to 13 seconds between plays instead of 16 in practice. And it wore us out. It really yeah. did. But it got us it got us in that mode to where it was play the down look at the sideline, get your feet set, and go. Nothing else. And I'd say like throughout the season, we we, we had an ability to help you guys out too because oh, yeah. gone, gone were the days of Coach Bowles as our as our offensive coordinator yeah, where yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah, a little yeah. bit less yeah. methodical or it, it was very methodical, sorry. In, in, uh, in, in Coach Herman's system, right, we were jetting all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and jet is just quick tempo, get to the line, snap the next play. You know, you're doing your hand signals to get the play and you're rolling. Yeah. So, um, you know, whether it was us helping us out in that moment in that week or, you know, getting ready to go play any of the other teams that we played that season uh, with that type of up pace, tempo and cadence. One, that's how we trained off season wise. But we also did do some prep just with the defense having to react to how we naturally ran our offense. Well, that off-season training, too, is actually a really good point because um, there were workouts in the weight room where, like, you had to run from station to station. You couldn't walk. Um, you know, we would do circuits out mm -hmm. on the field where it was the same thing. It was like you're at one station, you're right to the next. There's no break except for if you're standing in line waiting for somebody else to finish their rep. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you have a program that's built to be able – to do the power thing like how we like right. to do and we hit people, but you're also able to to, to do the speed thing Bingo. like Oregon like to do. 
you got a definite advantage. Yeah. Well, I think that's why Urban is probably a trendsetter, one of obviously one of the best in the business because he said when he went to Florida and when he went to Ohio State, there was one person he could not afford not to have, and that was Coach Mick because of the drills that he would put you guys through in the off season mm-hmm. and during the season. So we're going to see that the cardio prep works. After the Oregon game, Tyvis Powell told ESPN, quote, the track meet wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. The practice was much more challenging. So you guys aren't alone. Uh, Take it back for a second. You both mentioned in previous weeks that the team, since beating Wisconsin, had a Teflon feeling. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into the business of disparaging any opponent, but looking back prior to the game, which team were you more concerned with heading into the game? <laughs> Oregon or Alabama? Alabama, man. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, those were the we trained a very specific way, like Josh just said, speed and power. Right. Yep. There was there was one other team out there that that very closely resembled yep. an ability to do that. Um, and that was Alabama. Going into the Oregon game, not that we had this, we're just gonna go out there, roll the helmets out, and kick the shit out of you. Oh. It was, you know what? You <laughs> And I'm sure you guys had, you know, ball or offseason training. You don't train like us. No. You just don't. And, yeah. and, and I know that because I watch film. You know, I then played in the game and saw what we saw, right? But even their techniques, like offensive linemen were picking their hands up and running, literally just running a direction to get in guys' ways. They weren't going off the ball trying to put hands on Chris Carter with a double team to try to move him. They were like, yeah. hey, let's just run left and run right and hopefully Chris Carter gets tired and then we can start running up the middle. And it's right. like, Bro. no, listen, we're built for that. Like, <laughs> that is, we, got, we got dudes who can run too. Don't worry. <laughs> it's literally what they did. Like on offense, they would they would do basically half field where the, the routes were dead on one side of the yeah. field. Like they just they weren't running awesome concept for receivers, by the way. Yeah, let me just say. I mean, but that's because that's how they wanted to go. They wanted to go fast, and we're like, all right, well, y'all are basically it's a charade um, of an offense, and it's. I'm not trying. I swear, I'm not trying to disparage these guys, but this is how it felt. It was a charade of an offense that's not real football. You guys aren't actually hitting anybody, um, and we've got the speed to keep up, and we've got the endurance to keep up. So at some point, you're gonna have to line us up and play real football. Because what tends to happen is. If you go fast on first and 10 and you get seven yards, you can go fast on second and three. If you go fast on first and 10 and you get two yards, you're not going yeah. fast on second and eight. You, that's it's, right. that's yeah. not in the playbook. And it slows it down. And then they got to play real football, and that's not what they wanted yeah. to do. And they, they had to come play our football. And exactly. that's the answer, not what they wanted to do. No, hell no. Even though every opponent is worthy, Alabama looked like you and Oregon didn't. Curtis Grant goes into detail about how you were better, stronger, and more prepared. Here's this week's captain's perspective with Curtis Grant. You talking about like the monsters playing the Looney Tunes? <laughs> yeah. Now don't get don't get me wrong, man. I'm just joking around, but they did have some big guys on their D line, though. We were better than them. I mean, it is what it is. Everybody, you know, you look at you had Bosa, you had Steve, you had Adolphus, you had Mike Bennett, Tommy Shutt. You know, you start naming these guys across the board: Darren Lee, Josh Perry, me, Eli Apple. Tyvis, Vaughn, everybody, even the small guys on our team were big, super strong, hit hard. And that's all we wanted to do is hit people as hard as we could. I mean, we got pictures of five people trying to kill Marcus Mariota. Like Pac-12, yeah, they play football, but it's, you know, it's a little bit more spread out. Big Ten, we hit. SEC, they hit. You know what I mean? It was just, to me, no comparison. Well, one last thing before we switch subjects, and it's newsworthy concerning both of you. Uh, according hey, to no. 11 Warriors, in the midst of Oregon prep, 
Coach Meyer announces that he's making Evan a captain for the upcoming game and that he's going to make Joshua a captain for the 2015 season. Hey. I mean, guys, this is huge. Uh, talk about that for a second. First, what did Coach Meyer say to you when he told you? Uh, so thinking back on this, this one's tough for me because like coach was never a guy that like, you know, put Evan up in front of the you know, team room and say, he's your captain now. Go look at him. This, that, and the other, you know, hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. He was more of a, listen guys, you know, Evan is in this position, right? He and I had our private conversations about it happening and I was elated. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Yeah. There. Uh, but it was, uh, Corey Smith, right? Um, Evan's taking these many reps and looks like this running an inside nine on a Tuesday practice, on a Wednesday practice, on a Thursday practice, right? So why can't we get the, and I'm not, you know, love you, Corey. Why can't we get this, just an example, why can't we get this effort on this play, right? So yeah. because that's how I kind of treated my, you know, my everyday practice, you know, with coach, him naming me a captain and all that other stuff, it just felt more of like, you know, I felt I was already kind of there. I'm already senior. I'm about to bounce, you know, but I'm already leading guys, right? Like we yeah. talked earlier about me mentoring Mike and mentoring sure. Johnny Dixon and all these other guys, but that's just how I approached my business, right? So for me, it didn't feel odd because I already felt like I was in that category. Now, looking backwards, I still got my captain's cup, right? That's yeah. an awesome accomplishment I'll always be able to have. And my name, you know, I'll always have an invite to captain's dinner, uh, you-, you know, at, at, at the golf course. Um, you know, did you see uh, uh, Troy Smith drinking out of his yeah, during the Heisman yeah, ceremony? I did. I that did, was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and, Troy's an OG. He's, yeah, he's a character. Um, and for Evans, like I can distinctly remember that coach was like, because we had so much respect for Evan as a team, so much respect that it was almost like matter of fact that coach kind of slipped it in like, at a, on a post-practice speech, you know, Evan Spencer's, he's, he's a captain here. He's going down history as a captain, like just as a part of his hype deal. And mm-hmm. we're all kind of like, wait a minute, like Evan's a captain, like, Oh shit. Yeah, but right. Like we, it was, no, it wasn't a surprise to anybody. We were just, we we're happy for him. Um, for, for my deal kind of read it in, you know, 11 warriors or whatever. <laughs> and it's, it's cool. It's awesome, but I'm one of those people who believes that I need to earn the vote of my teammates and not the vote sure. of my coach in order to truly be an effective leader and an effective captain. And in training camp the next year, I got, you know, the team voted for me and I, I got the the accolades from them and they trusted me and, and I, I felt like a leader, but um, it would have felt empty or incomplete had it just been Urban appointing me sure. as a captain mm-hmm. instead of me really earning it through the work and through the, the relationships on the team. Um, well, what are the duties of a captain? I mean, you go out for the coin toss. We know that, obviously. But what what are are there specific duties that a captain is responsible for? Yeah. So leading up to that game, right? Think about the first ever college football playoff. Think about what the media looks like attached to that. Think yeah, about boy. what media day looks like for you know Ohio State, who hasn't been since '02. Um, the last time we won it, right? Yeah. So as a captain, you not only have proven yourself on the field, but you also can articulate the team's message well. And the, yeah, and, we're and, and wipe coach, the floor with them. Exactly, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you learn from your lessons. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, got a couple scars to look down on before I go say something stupid again. But anyways, <laughs> y- y- you have these folks out there that got experience and then can present the team's message well, right? Yeah. And especially in this moment, captains have to wear that brunt, right? So, um, you know, Evan, hey, you're the captain. You're one of our captains now. You have shown... Um, 
yourself worthy via all this stuff that you've done, um, you know, but you've also grown and learned how to be able to address the media. So, you know, get out there, show them, you know, what we're about and, you know, the, the effort and energy that we're about to go put out there. And, you know, it's, it's always about your team, your coaches and your family and kind of around there. Well, I one, think it was a, go ahead, a Josh, I'm sorry. pride for Josh, us as well. Um, that if we had any issues on the team that we were going to handle it as players and as leaders before it got up to the coaches. Um, and I thought that was really important for a number of reasons is number one, players drive the culture. It doesn't coaches, they tell you what they want the culture to be, but the players in that locker room at that specific time really drive the culture. So that's number one to build, you know, what we as players see is what the locker room should be. But number two, it, it really protects players um, because we're probably going to be kinder to them uh, then the coaches will after a fuck up. Like if we know a guy is like a, a social issue and the coaching staff hasn't really dealt with it yet, we're, we are going to help him correct his behavior in a manner that is more pleasant to him than the coaching staff doing it. Um, and I thought that the class before me with Evan and Curtis and all of those guys did a wonderful job of dealing with the locker room and dealing with what the culture was going to be in the locker room without the coaches having to say a word. Well, I don't want it to go unmentioned too that I don't know if there's a lot of pairs of father-son captains in Ohio State history, but I was doing my research. Yeah, Evan, your dad many. was a captain. Yeah. Uh, which is he how was. cool is that? That you so guys can share that. Bingo. That's exactly it. I don't know if there has been any others. You know, we'll call it two, three, four, five if there have been, but like Again, think about all the tradition that's at Ohio State. So, you know, that was one of the things that set in after the fact. My mom had told me that he's like, hey, you know, you're the only, you know, or one of the, the few to be father, son, captain. So that's awesome. You know, but it, it started from someplace. Right. And it started about like, hey, speak with your pads and, you know, do everything that you can for your teammates. And you, you start there, you get some successes. Everything else will come. And, you know, now we're we're, we're written down in stone, which is cool. Um Way more than cool, but again, I'm 27, so it'll yeah. keep setting. Yeah, right? exactly. Something's <laughs> yeah. never going to go away. But Joshua, I just want to go back to that point real quickly. Um, we hear about it in baseball of these things called kangaroo courts, which again, which when when players are doing something that the team's not going to be a part of the the or the organization doesn't do like a discipline or, or has you know things for that. Did you guys have any kind of like a kangaroo court if somebody did something? You know, they had to do push-ups or something in the locker room. Was there anything like that, or was it just kind of assumed that you guys had to kind of be the best you can be? I, we we. <sighs> I'm not going to get too deep into it. We okay. had our tactics okay. um, and they were extremely effective. I also think that they were they were pretty, in terms of discipline, pleasant to the person on the receiving end of the discipline. Yeah. Um, better than, you know, getting coach calling your parents and you having to be on more tutoring hours and, um, you know, you get your game tickets taken away and all that other stuff that that coaches do. We we did a we we did a good job. Okay, here. I was gonna say, I, I would hate to think of the slobs grabbing somebody, and uh, we'll talk about them in a minute. But just throwing them in an, in the, into the ice, you know, into the ice water. So, very much a situation where the culture leads decision making across the board. One hundred percent. Glory days, fans! Everyone knows bundling home and auto insurance is a money saver, but other insurance companies make it painful. Branch has changed that by making bundling easy, like 30 seconds easy, all online with just your name and address. Even if you're not looking to bundle, it's not a problem. Branch makes saving on just home or auto insurance that easy too. Branch, the better way to get covered. Learn more at rbranch.com 
forward slash glory. That's ourbranch.com forward slash glory. A quick break away from practice and prep work and on to helping those maybe not as fortunate as others. And for those who don't know, serving the community is a big part of the program mission at Ohio State. And here's a perfect example. In the middle of preparing for arguably your biggest game of the year, Alabama, the team takes a break and heads over to Nationwide Children's Hospital and visits upwards of 30 children, their parents and hospital staff, brightening the holidays. Mm-hmm. Now, guys, we obviously hear about this particular trip from the Columbus Dispatch, but I am sure that there are other wonderful things that we don't hear about that the OSU football players do in the community to make the world a better place. Can you talk about a couple of these things that you may have done in your career at Ohio State that people might not know about? Sure. I mean, when when we were there, obviously the Nationwide Children's Hospital were, were things, but like even during Thanksgiving break, right, we were doing food bank, food lines, being able to give food, prepare meals for folks who, you know, Otherwise, we're not going to have the chance to to pay for them, um, you know, outside of the right in that and the humanity in that. Why? What were we doing? Well, you know what? Football is is bigger than football sometimes. And, and, and when I say that, the community becomes the most important factor, right? Like, hey, you know, I went through cancer twice and this, that and the other. But Evan, I saw that pass and you have no idea how much motivation that gave me to go get through my last round of shots. But but to hear that as as an athlete, sure. it, yep. literally goosebumps right now. Yep. But you know whether it was the food banks or other instances like that, we were so focused on our community and giving back to them because they gave so much for us. Yeah, and I mean it was everything. Like you said, the children's hospital. We went to the VA hospital. We we cleaned up communities. A lot yep. of guys were involved in um, athletes in action, and FCA, and stuff like that. So they were you know, involved in their religious communities. But I got one personal story actually uh, from a hospital visit I did. And, and uh, it's it's kind of wild how this all came together. And it's a, a sad ending, shamefully. But um, this guy named Jeff Moneybreak uh, was receiving cancer treatments. And so we went to the hospital and he didn't, he didn't like visitors because he's he was a, a tough guy and he didn't want people to see him kind of beaten down. But um, he has a son that's on the autism spectrum and I have a brother who's on the spectrum. And so when I was walking through there, um, you know, he said he wanted to speak to me and we spent a little bit of time together and, you know, shared stories, whatever the case was. And a few years later, I was at a, a realtor networking meeting and he pulls me to the side and tells me about the time that we spent together and how much it meant to him. Um, and I got to know him as a colleague and also as a friend. And I got to know his family a little bit. And recently he actually passed away. Mm. But to come full circle on one of those stories where for me, it was maybe 15 minutes I spent with somebody that 15 minutes made enough of an impact that we developed a friendship years later. Um, I, I don't I don't know if there are words to express how much to some people it means uh, to, to spend time with a Buckeye. But I think that our guys in the locker room were well aware of it and took the opportunities to be a good person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to be one of the best things about being an OSU football player. I mean, when you sit there and you talk with a kid who's got cancer and for 15 minutes you can make him not think about that cancer, that's a powerful message you guys send. Yeah. Um, I want to talk. A, I want to take a second and talk about Jacob Jarvis and his brother Noah. Oh, yeah. 
For those who don't remember these two, both brothers have Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which according to MDA.org is a genetic disorder characterized by the progressive loss of muscle and it's particularly debilitating to children. Compounding issues, both brothers have this disease. And thankfully, both of them become friends of Urban Meyer and the OSU football program. Mm -hmm. I think they met at Friday Night Lights. They did. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jacob even served as an honorary captain in the Cincinnati game. But in reality, I think the family served as an inspiration to the football team all year. And I think they sure. still do today. Yeah. Evan, I bring this up to you because your roommate, Jeff Hireman, mm -hmm. appeared particularly close with the family. In fact, in BTN's The Journey, Jeff can be seen giving Jacob the game ball in the locker room after the Bearcat game and saying, yeah. Jacob, quote, Jacob, what you do for us, we can never repay you. Mm -hmm. Can you speak mm -hmm. to yours, Jeff's, the team's involvement with Jacob and this and Jacob and his family? Yeah. Well, I mean, we all speaking to the involvement. It, it was it was all it was all encompassing, right? Mm -hmm. We wanted to give him access to what is so sought after, Ohio State football. We wanted him to know that he was one of our teammates, right? Because because very deep down, right, whether it was Braxton, whether it was me, Josh, Jeff, um, Zach, or any of us, like we found so much motivation in Jacob's ability to not only wake up every day and attack the day with a positive mindset, but to come around us, not think about hardships that he could have had in that day and just want to give everything for the team, right? Like, I mean, he's texting Jeff about, you know, blocking or catching the ball or whatever. Um, and that Friday night lights, I mean, heck, he was in the end zone, you know, throwing the ball with Coach Meyer and, and Coach is talking with him about how he's going to teach him how to throw the, how they're going to teach him how to throw the ball right. Right. And Coach loves these Friday night events, um, you know, great chance to interact with recruits. But, you know, he'll be the first one to tell you, I didn't give a damn about anybody else there in yeah. that moment because yeah. that was that important. Yeah. So that effect that he had on us was incredible. Jeff and his relationship I, I am so thankful for because it allowed me to be close to him, right? You know, Jeff and myself and, and a whole bunch of others were going to the muscular dystrophy walks and, you know, spending our time outside of the Woody with them to, to, to further show our support because it wasn't just a guy around the facility. He was our teammate. Right. And, and we really saw that. We really saw that in him, and he really started to see that in himself, which was even the cooler thing. Yeah. Um, and and we've since had opportunities to sit down with him, and mm -hmm. heck, we you know we had a surprise twenty first birthday party with him not too long ago, uh, which was incredible to still see him you know as, as positive of a mindset as possible. But man, to see the emotions start pouring because you know he got up and just started talking about how he wanted to be part of our team and. Every one of us to a man stood up and said, no, no you are my teammate. Yes. I, I did everything for you. Right. Just like I did all my other guys. Yeah. It, that that experience right there years later broke us all down in that room. Like yeah. it, that was one of the most heartfelt environments that I've been in, in a long time. And uh, he was a teammate to us. It wasn't like a teammate. He was a teammate. Um, and for somebody to tell you that they wish that they could be a part of what you get to do, you have to include that person mm -hmm. and you have to take inspiration from it. And he's special. Um, we've got so a little special. bit of a, a unique bond because his family lives in the same area where I live. So, you know, he goes went to the same high school I went to and everything. We see them all the time. And that's just a, a special family to begin with. But Jacob Jarvis, Talk about 
when you're having a bad day and you see that kid around, yeah. there's mm-hmm. no more bad days. You can't, right. there's no such thing as right. a bad day because he's not having one. You can't have one either. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, we all know your playing careers aren't going to be the last time you two focus on giving back to the community. You again, just talked, you, you both just talked about your continuing friendship with Jacob. Joshua, you chair the Joshua Perry Family Foundation. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that what that is and what that entails? Yeah, um, it's it's a really unique story, kind of how I decided I wanted to do the the charity thing. But um, when I was at Ohio State, one of my teammates told me that he had to go to school every single day uh, to eat a meal, a hot meal. Uh, because he didn't know if there was going to be hot, fresh food at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a suburban kid. I'd get fat out here if I wanted to because there's always food around. And that really struck me because we ended up in the same environment um, based off of completely different circumstances. But he had mentors uh, within his school and within his community that kept him on the right path to being a 4.0 student into earning a scholarship to play at Ohio State. And so I felt like I had Uh, a moral obligation and a duty to use not only my physical, my mental talents, but my financial treasures to impact other kids um, that probably have similar abilities, but limited opportunities around central Ohio specifically. So I started the Joshua Perry family foundation back in 2017. Our goal is to inspire our youth through empowerment, self-efficacy and education. Um, We work primarily with kindergarten through eighth grade students, but we also work with high schoolers in the area as well. Um, And it's, it's been a pleasure to spend time around young people because there's so much um, energy and there's so much intelligence and they're bright and vibrant and there's not enough people who are spending the time doing the dirty work and investing. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a financial aspect as we all know, but you you have to invest relationally with young people. And that's been a big part of our outreach is we, we don't like to just go to one place and then never go again. We spend time multiple times with a lot of kids that we work with and we've seen the, the impacts pay off. Yeah, and if, if I could, this is the yeah. great part about college football, football in general, team sports, et cetera, right? Like Josh and I come from similar background as it relates to prior to going to school, but like I wouldn't trade my experience for the world in my room with my teammates because it gave me a diverse set of experiences Mm -hmm. that I didn't have the chance to go through, right? I'm I'm as empathetic as it comes, at least I like to think, right? But, you know, I would go into the room and hear this story and hear that story and hear this story. It's like, holy cow, like, one, that's unfair, but damn, good on you for getting here. And then you just start thinking about, oh, shit, what can I do, right? Yeah. How can I impact this so more people like this person get here? Yes. And kudos to you, Josh, for being able to organize it, put it into action. But, you know, that's why I love the game. Well, for listeners who'd like to learn more, please visit www.joshuaperryff.org. Once again, that's joshuaperryff, all one word, dot O-R-G. Now, before we get to the national championship game, let's shift gears for a quick second and talk about a teammate of yours that is having an absolutely monstrous Hmm. end of the 2014 season. Hmm. And that would be running back Ezekiel Elliott. Mm -hmm. And for some background, in 2014, that's Ezekiel's second year in the program and his first as a starter. 
In 2013, he was third on the depth chart behind both Carlos Hyde, who, by the way, unbelievably was Urban's first 1,000-yard rusher in history. That's crazy, given his offense. That is crazy. I remember that. Yeah. Kudos to Carlos. Carlos still out there doing it, too. Yeah. Looking, like a, looking like a baller back out there. <laughs> and so he's behind Carlos and Jordan Hall. But he didn't have many carries in 2013, yet he still averaged 8.7 yards a carry when given the opportunity. So I want to stop right here. My first question is this. Given his lack... Before 2014, I've a proven, they would call a resume. Could you imagine that he would have such a breakout year in 2014 when you guys are preparing for 2014? Could you imagine him? Evan, do you remember the Purdue game in 2013? We were playing at Purdue, Mm -hmm. and Zeke ran down there and just, just, yes, just blasted that guy on kickoff coverage. Yes, yes, that's that's when I knew he was going to be special because he beat he beat (laughs) everybody down the field, so he was fast, and then he knocked this guy completely off of his feet, so he's physical and reckless. I'm like, that's that's what you want your running back to be: is fast, physical, and reckless. (laughs) He had all three of those characteristics, dude. I he hit that guy so. Hard. I remember that. That was so crazy. But no, great point. Like, you know, Zeke was crazy. Like he got here when he first first got here. Zeke was like a little hurdler, skinny, skinny hurdler dude. We were like, hey, you gonna play H? You playing receiver? What's going on? And it just started to put on weight, but didn't lose any of his agility or speed. So like you know, you mix that in with a couple. You run down on kickoff. You know, you, sh- you show the coaches that you're a little crazy out there. Hold on. Yeah. You might get a couple nods here in, a, in, in, in the short uh, uh, distance in front of us. And goodness gracious, did he? That was not an uncrowded running back room. I mean, he had Curtis no. Samuel, Briante Dunn. I mean, we um, had ballers. Yeah, Warren Ball, Rod Smith. I mean, you had a lot of people in that room. And for him to stand out like that. But speaking of his monsters 2014, his final stat line is one of the best in OSU history. He's got close to 1,900 yards rushing. He's got 18 touchdowns. And I think this is one that goes underserved. He had 28 receptions. Sure. A trivia question for you guys. Do you know who holds the OSU record for rushing yards in a season? I can hear my father-in-law rattling this off right now. Um, Is it Keith? It is not. How about you, Joshua? Got a guess. Uh, I'm going to go. Byers for folks who don't know who I'm talking about. I'm going to go recent and go with Ja'Kalen Dobbins. You got it. That's unbelievable. Just last wow, year. Check him yeah. Out. 2019, J.K. Dobbins rushed for 2,003 yards. So 2014 doesn't start out the way that it's going to end for Ezekiel. And I want to do a quick comparison of his first three games with his last three games. We all know that he's going to blow up in the postseason and average a ridiculous 232 yards per game. But he starts off on the slow side against Navy, Virginia Tech, and Kent State, where he averages just 47 yards a game. But remember also, to fans out there, he did hurt his wrist in training camp. That was my fault. Was it really? Oh, I remember. Yeah. Wasn't it one on ones? It was one on ones in the red zone was, down there covering. in Ackerman. I remember Give that. Give it up. I, well, it was I was covering on covering him on a route, and I was going to knock the ball out, and so you know, like you know, you hook and yeah. swat or whatever. We got tangled up, and he fell funny. Yeah, he like oh, kind of like fell, like got popped up in the air or whatever, and then yeah. tried to stop himself, and he janked his uh, his thumb off on it. Yeah, it was crazy. Sorry. So th- there was twenty eight receptions on a broken thumb. So again, yeah, I'm sure that thumb's still giving him issues because I still see it wearing that little brace. Yeah, he got the daggone thing on. Is that the yeah. feed him or thumb? Yeah, him and Ty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they they got married to that wrist brace real quick. They did. They were doing the same thing on rehab yeah. all off season long. We know that he lived with his dad. 
but the website Bucknuts said that his dad was an unofficial ambassador for the football program, often answering recruiting process questions from other parents. And interestingly, after Zeke leaves Ohio State, the site claims he was hired in an official category as a program assistant under Urban Meyer. Um, For you guys, as much as he was seemingly around the program, did you have any interaction with his dad at all? Yeah, I mean, you see him around, not only at the Woody. I mean, heck, he was in Columbus. So, you know, you see him around, but it's more of a kind of just what's up. Hey, you know, I'm kind of on a path. I'll I'll holler at you when I can um, type of deal. And when we're in the Woody, it's it's productive, right? He's talking about family or um, talking about ball a little bit. But, you know, we just saw him (laughs) obviously as Zeke's dad, but, you know, a helpful figure in in, in any way he could be. Well, note to self, if you guys ever get invited to his house for like a team reunion, make sure you keep a lookout for wild animals. Yeah. The dude got cited for exotic animals on his property out in Canal Winchester. I think he had like a bobcat out yeah, there. Yeah, so. he, he had some <laughs> some big felines. Yeah. yeah. Story for another day, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> the second thing we know about Zeke actually happened in 2015. So I'm going to shift there for just a brief second. But after the 17-14 loss to Michigan State... Zeke called out some of the coaching decisions, and this is a truncated quote, but he said, quote, I'm disappointed in the play calling. I'm disappointed in the situations that that we were put in, and I wish it all played out differently. He also announces his intentions to go pro before the season ends, saying, quote, honestly, that was my last game at the shoe. There's no chance (laughs) I'm coming back next year. Oh, God. Yeah, Joshua, that's I got to get to you on this because... You've talked about the sting of that loss and how it affected you and your teammates. What was the player's reaction to his comments from 2015? I think we all shared the sentiment that we were, what did he say, disappointed in the play calling and disappointed in the situations that we were put in Mm -hmm. and wish that it all played out differently. I think he spoke for the team when he said that. Um, And it's, it's, like some people could look at that and be like, wow, Zeke's selfish because he's, you know, I didn't get enough carries or whatever. He's not being selfish. He's fucking right. He didn't get enough carries. It's for the better of the team to give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. And there were repercussions. Like there was some restructuring and some things that happened after that. Um, it was inappropriate for him to do that in a public forum. Um, and we were disappointed because it showed public weakness within the team for him to go out there and voice that it just it feels like there's not leadership um and so we we had to have a conversation but he didn't say anything that was a damn lie and i don't blame him for saying that that was his last game and again not the right way to do it but he's frustrated he felt the same way we all felt that we should not have lost that game Mm -hmm. that he did not get as much burn as he should have gotten and at the end of the day when you're frustrated Sometimes the truth comes out in ways that might not feel good to people, but yeah. he ain't say nothing but the truth. Right. Evan, you're in D.C. at the time. Did your head swivel around on a swivel and say, did he just say that? You know, like when Honestly, you're about to sports center? Because that was big news. That was big I, news. I, I went I went to Mercury after that game. Okay. I was so mad and so frustrated. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't playing now. So, you know, I could be as critical of all Did of those tweet? first, second, third down calls. I might have, but uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> but, oh, man. No, it was one of those ones that, like, you know, 
ask me about the conversation in the locker room against Virginia Tech. I have no yeah. idea because I was I was irate. Yeah, so mad. <laughs> I was yeah. throwing shit. You know, yeah. I'm mad. But I'd say it was very similar in that, right? So you guys are on the field for pregame warmups. And Joshua, when we discussed Alabama, you said it was the first time you looked at the other side and saw a team that physically looked like Ohio State. When you looked at Oregon, what did you see compared to Alabama? What stuck out uh, to you? They're a bunch of fast guys, skinnier necks, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, a little bit lankier. Arms weren't as thick, definitely not as vascular. It looked like a team <laughs> that we could physically overpower. And again, yeah. not to disparage those players, because that was the brand of football they wanted to play. But our mindset was that we look at them and we'd see the body type and we definitely felt like our bodies were superior to theirs 100 percent of the way. There's no doubt about it. I mean, like at the end of the day, like we were as fast as them. So we we had an additional layer they didn't. So that's how we felt going into it. Didn't you say, Joshua, offline that, you know, that one of the impressive things was that Urban knew everything about that week on how to prepare because he had done it before? Yes. And and that was the, what an advantage. the thing. It is an advantage. Like looking back on it, and I really only realized it when you asked us some of these prep questions um, in the production meeting, but... I'm sitting back and I'm realizing the calm that existed from Urban. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Urban had two national titles before that. And he had taken, you know, a team like Utah to a BCS bowl game and, and had success there. It's He was ready for the moment and his calm spread through our team because we felt like there was a ton of stability for all the questions we had. There was an answer and it was a good ass answer. Sure. And for all of the excitement and the jitters that we had, there was a calm that existed and we, we fed off of that energy and we just, I don't, his, his confidence and, and his calm demeanor definitely wore off on us because those are the games where you go out there and you could be dog tired after the first quarter because you're so amped up. And he, we just, we didn't feel like that. We felt like, we were as cool as the, the damn guy running it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Brian Kelly needs to learn that. Um, <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Sorry. Uh, all righty then. On to the game particulars. Number four Ohio State is a six and a half point underdog against a number two Oregon. And noteworthy, as we discussed in a previous episode, this is the third straight game where you guys are underdogs. And interestingly, this was your third straight game against a Heisman Trophy finalist. And this time it's going to be the Heisman Trophy winner in Marcus Mariota. At this point, given your win over Alabama, did you guys even pay attention to being an underdog? Mm -mm. Okay. No, I mean, it, it didn't matter at this point. Yeah. <laughs> if we hadn't proven to the world that we were the best football team, like shit, right up whatever you want to. Like right. at the end of the right. day, we're still the dudes going out there moving folks. So, right. you know, okay. Great. Yeah. We play well as underdogs because, gosh darn it, at the end of the day, we know we're as good or better than everybody we play. Right. I'm going to say that underdog shit also does not – it doesn't work and it doesn't make a damn bit of sense when you just beat the number one team right. in the country. Right. Like, like, we, it could have been Tom Brady and the Patriots out there. We would have felt like it would have been disrespect to call us an underdog just because of what we did the last time we played. Yeah. So yeah. I, that, I don't even – looking Probably back on it. I would have blitzed the hell out of Tom too if we Yeah, just, just on some real <laughs> cocky stuff. But like we just felt like – once you beat the number one team, you can't be the underdog anymore. Like right. you proved that you were better right. than the best team. Well, it was funny because Taylor Decker's like, he got kind of pissed off. He's like, Ohio State is never an underdog. <laughs> Glory Days fans, everyone knows bundling home and auto insurance is a money saver, but other insurance companies make it painful. Branch has changed that by making bundling easy, like 30 seconds easy, all online with just your name and address. 
Even if you're not looking to bundle, it's not a problem. Branch makes saving on just home or auto insurance that easy, too. Branch, the better way to get covered. Learn more at rbranch.com forward slash glory. That's ourbranch.com forward slash glory. Oregon comes in at 13-1 after a blowout win over defending national champion Florida State in the Rose Bowl. And you guys come in at 13-1 and one after, big, uh, after a win over Big Bad Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. The kickoff is at 8.30, and you guys are at Jerry World. Now, we're a sponsor-friendly program here, so it's actually AT&T Stadium. So, <laughs> yeah, you hear me, Buckeye Donuts. You too, Coach Slagle. Do the right That's thing. Right. Do the right hey, thing. I'm about to say, yeah, do the right can, thing. Uh, so you you know, roughly, I can broker some introductions. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> roughly 85,000 in attendance. Game is on ESPN. We talked about the money going into this, but uh, the average ticket on the secondary market, according to CNBC, is a grand. Jeez, Jesus, oh, you guys have any friends that needed to buy tickets to that game? A grand. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have caught a violation to sell my damn <laughs> yeah. friends and family tickets yeah. if I knew Take they were going out. for a grand. Oh, right? Man. <laughs> so, like last week, a quick dive into the TV numbers just to show your guys' power as a ratings draw. According to Reuters, 33.4 million viewers are going to watch this game. And to that point, it's going to be the highest rated TV show in cable history. Got to say that again. Anyone want to guess the number two rated show in cable history? (laughs) 10 days before that one. Nice. (laughs) Perfect. You're paying attention. Yes. The Sugar Bowl between Ohio State and Alabama, 28.3 million fans tuned in to watch that one. And equally impressive This is really interesting. It did an astounding 51.2 rating in Columbus, Ohio. And to explain that, a 51.2 rating means that of all the televisions that were on in Columbus, Ohio at that time, 51% were tuned into the Ohio State game. And that's in the nation's 15th largest city. So. Guys, just in case anybody's yeah. worried about any conspiracies yeah. about, well, Ohio State didn't deserve to get in. Right. I'm going to just point to these numbers real quick. <laughs> Follow those mm-hmm. numbers. The CMP is never losing when Ohio State's in. Hey, I'm about to say, this is what, an hour in? Just get to this one. You yeah. can go back, start at the beginning. But, oh, right. there right. you go. Follow those numbers right to $5.65 billion. That's why yeah, people exactly. paid for that. But, you know. They should I, disclose their earnings. Right. <laughs> Compare that to roughly 18 million people who watched the Alabama-Notre Dame game in 2021. That is close to double. Mm. I don't know if we can top that, but national championship game, last game of the season, did Urban say anything memorable to you guys as you head out onto the field? So, again, this is another one of those moments where we're so locked in and ready to go. Sure. Coach Meyer was very selective about who he brought around us and more importantly, the topics that he also brought around us. Right. So one of which was just, hey, you know, we've done so much training about like, you know, what some SEAL team members have had to go through in order to make sure that like their brothers were safe, alive and their missions were achieved. Right. And then they look backwards and you know they're reflecting on this thing like, holy cow, like. Yeah, that's what we did, but that was our job, right? That's what we trained so long and so hard to do. So we reacted and we could think backwards and do that. In these moments, right, like it's just a we've imprinted this into your minds for a reason because guess what? In your own world right now for the next four hours, you know, go do your job. Reflect on it backwards afterwards and be surprised. But gosh darn it, react and play for your teammates because at this point, 
we clearly are good enough and our jobs are clearly good enough, right? All the nine units strong, all those other cliches, like we were very much a believer in them and that's why we got to that point. So a lot of what we had already heard was being said, but it was these motivational factors that, you know, to help us take that mental step, uh, you know, one step further if we could, given the stage. I remember reading something about Coach Mick ripping a jersey off Cam Burroughs, a 16 jersey. Do you did that happen in the pregame? Do you guys remember that at all? Then it doesn't matter. I'm just you know I remember reading. About uh, it, but. Coach Mick's crazy enough, so I believe it. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Well, onto the game. First quarter, Oregon takes the opening drive, goes 75 yards in 11 plays, capped with a seven-yard TD pass, and they take a seven-nothing lead. In his book, Urban said he would have normally gone ballistic. But he said what eased him was a sense of collective calm that was around him. Championship game, opening drive, opponent scores a TD. You guys worried at all? Not, nope. not from our perspective. Oregon's a team that was going to move the ball, and I think right. we understood that. Exactly. And early on in the game, like they always come out with some bullshit wrinkles that you got to adjust to. Mm-hmm. We didn't feel like it was going to be anything that would set us back. Big time. And, and that's a great point. Like Every time you play the next best team in whatever – to expect that you're going to go three and out every possession is right. is blasphemy. You're going to set yourself up for disappointment, right? Yeah. So you have to be able to tighten up when you need to tighten up. And, you know, they're going to make plays. They got dudes. But at yeah. the end of the day, follow your job when the time's right. And especially on defense, like we all know offensive coordinators are like so big on the first 10 or first 15 or whatever. And then you give them 10 days to, to script that out and to work on that <laughs> yeah. game plan. Like, okay, they score early. It's a long game. Like, right. yeah. let's go. So uh, Oregon's opening score is significant because the next four Oregon possessions are three punts and a goal line stand resulting in zero points. And this is a good time to remind everyone that Oregon averaged 48 points a game in 2014 and also scored 41 points yeah. as referenced against Florida State, the national champion, defending national champions a week earlier. The Ohio State offense scores 14 straight points and might have had more but had two fumbles. Yeah. The first score is a long and dominating drive. 10 plays, 97 yards, capped off by a 33-yard touchdown run by Zeke. And this will be the first of his four, mm. say that again, four touchdowns on that day. And the second is a one-yard pass from Cardell to Nick Vanette. It's OSU leading 14-7. to So we're quickly moving on to the second quarter. And as stated a minute ago, on your next two possessions, OSU has two fumbles. But in between... Oregon drives to the OSU 10-yard line and decides to go for it on fourth and three, and they're stopped by Tyvis Powell and Joshua, among others. Two Mm -hmm. questions. First, speaking of turnovers, you guys talked off-air about the quick change drill. Can you let the listeners know what that is? Yeah, I got this one. So quick change, man, is just off-season, dog. So it's just like, you know, not only are we running and doing a whole bunch of cardio, but we're actually, you know, mocking up some of our plays. 12-play drive, 10-play drive, great. Five-play drive, all right, offense is off. Quick change, you're back out there again. Yeah. Right, so we'll do that, and obviously the, the, the same goes for the defense. But it's built into how we train because at the end of the day, like it starts 365 days out. 
because we have to know how to how to operate in that stressful environment in that moment. So we just build off of those things, those quick change drills in the offseason to then go and play a team like Oregon. How does it apply? Where is it, you know, applicable or whatever? Well, those dudes run a play every 16 seconds, right? Yeah. You know, we at, as an offense, we're, we're productive, but we also turn the ball over four times in the last game. So we're also not perfect in that category. So it was just a balance of being able to cover each other, whether it was offense to defense or defense to offense. And that drill helped us out a lot when doing that. So second question, Joshua, after stopping Oregon on fourth and three, any recollection of their players' faces when you guys do that? I mean, for a team that averages 48 points, I'm not so sure they're assume they're they're used to something like this. I assume they were shocked. Do you remember anything? Oh, you got a picture of <laughs> oh, check them out. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Oh, yeah. 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 There we go. It's um it's it's difficult, I think, anytime. Uh, and, and so like this is my philosophy. This doesn't matter for shit. If I was a coach is go for fourth downs more often than not and put the game on your defense to go out and get a win because, you know, the analytics say that you'll be successful more often than not. And I'm a defensive guy, so I trust my D. But when you're in a championship game and you feel like you're selling out and you're taking those chances and you're not converting on them, that does something to you. Like mentally, mm-hmm. it's it is hard to get back in that right mindset. Like your defense has to trot out there knowing that your offense basically left it up to them and they weren't successful. And now you got to follow that up. Um, And so for us, I think it was a a point of pride to bow up in those situations. Like you talked about how we had a goal line stand and what that does is it proves that you will bend to just the brink of snapping and you just won't let it happen. And when you're going up against somebody who keeps coming back for more, it's just difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Ohio State also goes for it tw- twice and fourth down in this game as well and converts yeah. both, I think. Like, I got Cardell has one of the, the most epic quarterback sneaks I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Big guy going bailed through there. On, bailed on the sneak and sweeped it to the left by himself. <laughs> Sound like Cardell. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, you guys eventually take a 21-7 lead on a one-yard Cardell run, and Oregon drives inside the OSU 10, but again, they can't punch it in. They settle for a field goal, and it's 21-10 good guys. To note, for Oregon, that's two drives inside the OSU 10-yard line in the second quarter, and they cannot get it into the end zone. And we head to halftime. And going into the locker room, Urban does the obligatory interview with ESPN where he says, quote, this is Oregon's deal now. And he's referencing how they play so well after the second half. We've got to go rally them up, hydrate them up. This is the deal, how we prepare and how we adjust for the second half. What are the coaches saying to you guys at halftime? Get ready, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, get your, get your oranges, get your Gatorade packs, whatever you need to do. We've trained not only all week, not only all season, but all off season as well for these moments, right? You know, make sure you're hydrated so we don't get cramps, but we're going to go. You know, we know what to expect. So don't get comfortable where we are now. Sure, we're winning. Sure, it looked good. Sure, we, you know, did a lot of great things, but do not get comfortable and know that they are going to come out as fast as they can to try to grab and take some momentum if, if possible. And I remember Luke Fickle in the locker room was, Basically, with the linebackers, he said, one more half and you guys get to be champs. And I felt like that really resonated because you can, at that point, take a look back and you can you can quantify how much time was was spent to get to one point where there's only a half left and then you achieve your ultimate goal. Well, we start the second half and this is where it gets a little hairy for a second. 
OSU receives the kickoff and drives down the field but con- and converts a fourth and one, and then a pass gets bobbled, and it's ruled an interception. On the next play, Oregon completes a pass for 70 yards and a TD, and just like that, it's 21-17. OSU gets the ball back and again converts a fourth and one, but on the next play, fumbles. Oregon recovers and kicks a field goal, and suddenly it's 21-20. But you know... This is where you guys really take control because the offense responds with a 12-play, 75-yard drive. And on the last play of the third quarter, Zeke scores on a nine-yard run, and it's 28-20 going into the fourth. This is significant and may be overlooked in retrospect, but an Oregon offense that prided itself on wearing down their opponents was shut down themselves as their next four possessions read like this. Punt, punt, turnover on downs, and an end-of-game interception. Joshua, is this the frenetic pace training paying off opposite for you guys? Yeah, it was one of those situations where um, <laughs> they they spent the basically the third, most of the third and the fourth quarter, um, you know, trying to get right, and they were they were eating up all the clock. Yeah. You know, we were eating it up because they were going so fast and just giving us the football right. back. Right. Um, and that's where it becomes difficult. And that's where we knew it would pay off is if they if they're in chase mode, then their thing works way less than they want it to. Yeah. It, even when they're leading, it's it's kind of a bad deal. But I'm not going to get into the the philosophy yeah. of it. But for us, we we just knew that um, if they had to be in a do or die situation, it, it was going to be over. Yeah. Well, in between, Zeke's got two more TDs and the clock's starting to wind down. And here we are after all the adversity, after losing two Heisman Trophy candidates, after the early season loss to Virginia Tech, after the number 16 ranking by the playoff committee, after the untimely passing of a teammate, you guys are the first college football playoff champions. The final score is 42 to 20. I know it's coming up on six years ago, but can you remember what was going through your head as time was winding down? It's just like, man, how, how, one, how can you put it into words? But we've talked about the confetti falling Mm -hmm. over. We've talked about the chase, but then to have done it, right? Then to have gone over that last hurdle, cleared that last obstacle, and know that you just got to watch it click down to double zeros and they're going to say you are the winner, the national champion of all 162 teams that decided to go out in, in their training camp and, hey, break down, one, two, three champs, yeah. one, two, three national, you know, whatever. Y'all did it. We yeah. did it, right? It, but not only just for me, not just for Josh, we did it for each other, right? Like, yeah. You know, everybody else's success in that moment was more important than our own and you know we were a great team that way because we thought that way yeah and it was one of those like we're on the sidelines and i'm looking for you know my position coach and i'm hugging him up and i'm looking for um you know some of the guys in my unit room and i'm hugging them up but then i look to the stands and i'm i I always used to find my parents and i would wave to them before the game my mom would blow me kisses and all kind of soft Mm -hmm. shit Mm -hmm. um 
But like I knew exactly where they were and I was looking for them because one of the first things I wanted to do was hug my parents. And now as I look back, it was a tactical error because I didn't get to get up on the big main stage where they were handing out the trophy because <laughs> by the time I got back, it was a bunch of guys who probably shouldn't have been up there that were trying to work their way <laughs> oh, up dude, the stairs. I didn't even get to the front. I was trying to push my way up. There's a whole bunch of dudes that got me pushed back, so, but it's all good. It's, I it's missed out on the fucking photo op. <laughs> I missed the photo. The the the, Nash, or not the, Nash, the Sugar Bowl photo was great because I'm up there like this and then there's just this fat Ohio State sign like right in yeah. front of my face yeah. <laughs> in the come picture on. I'm like come on <laughs> but no it, it, it's all good it's yeah. it's about those moments right yeah. we had thought and dreamed what it would look like and then to see Scarlet and Gray come actually no that wasn't Scarlet and Gray it was golden no, white it was, yeah. yeah golden white and I think a but, little black maybe yeah first one colors. some some Buckeye fan said some things about it is what it is it was ours and we yeah. did it that's yeah. what was so awesome did you collect the confetti oh yeah I still got it yeah, in my backpack in I Chicago got some, I got some here at my parents' house. Yeah. Well, it's you, funny. My girlfriend even said that, like, either her uncle or somebody on her team, I'm not 100% sure, grabbed some confetti and gave it to her. And it was, like, their motivation because she was a synchronized swimmer. They've won yeah. 32 national championships, yeah. way more than Ohio, or the football team. But, um, you know, they were using it as motivation. But just a little side story. I could be wrong, but I think that confetti was uh, gold and black because Nike – you remember the shirts you guys wore after the game? Yeah, uh, yeah. they uh-huh. were they were gold and black. That could have been I a think Nike it's the thing CFP or colors. CFP. Oh yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Wow, follow the money. Oh, Sorry. So, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> you follow go. the money. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on a an aside here. They gave us a trunk. Ooh. Remember that? And it's I got our. It. Mm-hmm. I have mine too. It's in my parents' basement, but it's got like a nameplate on the front. It says Joshua Perry number 37. Then it says a whole bunch of bullshit on it. And then um, you opened it up and it had cufflinks, I believe, a lapel mm-hmm. pin, and a CFP tie, which I've never worn before. Nope. Um, and I don't know if there was really anything else in it. But the, uh, bathroom bag. I use that yes, all the time. Yes, yes, The toiletry yeah. bag. I, I still definitely use have that. that. Yeah. Um, and I I put like a bunch of my work shit in there now. I've got yeah. like, yeah. you know, a bunch of legal pads and <laughs> pens and stuff. But Love it. Well, listen, the Cotton Bowl was the one that, uh, you know, is run by the, the CFP, but the Cotton Bowl was the host. And they've always been known to give the best gifts um, oh, yeah. Damn, I, I've uh, seen what those. about the media gift for the Cotton Bowl? Because I need to be getting down on one of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Straight up. Who we got to talk to for that? <laughs> tell us about the after party. Uh, where Ooh. was the after party? What was the after party? What'd you guys do? Uh, you were going we I was so not far. part of it. I was not part of it. Because yeah, we were we were so far from, from actual Dallas that yeah, everybody yeah. was... We came back to the hotel, though, which was a really cool scene yep. because the fucking lobby was lined with Buckeye Lit. fans. And that, this, uh, it was awesome. This girl who lives right down the street from where I grew up, she's a huge Ohio State fan, was down there. And it was cool seeing her because we went to... We're in the same grade, went to elementary, middle, high school, and college together. Um, and so it's just like... Little stuff like that where you start to see familiar faces that you've seen outside all the games and your parents are there. Everybody in the hotel, literally everybody in the hotel singing Carmen, Ohio. Um, But you talked about that setup, uh, Evan, where it was like wide open. Yeah. 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 yeah, And uh, like up to the top and everything. So there Mm -hmm. were people even like up there that were looking down singing an OHIO all night, which is kind of annoying. But um, (laughs) it was cool. Cocktails in the lobby. I know. Joe Berger was smoking cigars with his family. Like everybody was kind of just congregating and I didn't go to sleep until hella late. 
Um, but it wasn't like a, a party night. It was just like a, an unwind yeah. and celebrate type of night. Yeah. It was it was a big mood type of night. So a uh, little side note. In Dallas, they don't sell alcohol past 1 o'clock. Oh, right? boy. And the game ended at like, I don't know, we'll call it 12.55 or something, right? So, you know, of course, we're all racing back to the hotel. <clears throat> I didn't go out that night because I felt slightly better. You know, the Sugar Bowl, I was on one. So I'm like, hey, I'm on Bourbon <laughs> Street. I'll, I'll catch you all later when I was talking to my parents. So this one, I'm like, all right, you know, we, we could chill in the hotel. We can drink some beers together. We could talk about it all. Uh, but no, it, it was fun. We ended up finding some some lukewarm um, adult beverages nice. in, in somebody's somebody's deal. And we really just sat around the hotel and, and talked, shared stories and really just said, I cannot believe that that just happened. We just yep. did that. I'll raid the honor bar guys. Come on, man. They got one in every room. Grab your uh, refrigerator. There's gotta be some cold beers in there. <laughs> I think, well, I think okay. It was, so you're talking about a bunch of, a bunch of hot college kids I, that uh, a chartered I, hotel. I think Brian Voltolini made it very clear oh, yeah, that the right, mini right, bar right, should right, be right. removed from the room. Yeah, yeah. my bad. I'm sorry. No doubt. So, Bolton Fernando, they took care of that. Uh, so Urban sums it up pretty well. He says, the chase is complete. Evan, it was a four-year quest. Joshua, it was three years. Can you sum up the end of this championship run better than that quote? I mean, does that say at all? The chase is complete. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's 100% perfect. Yeah. We all looked up at our chase little banner yep. in the Woody every day in the offseason, every day after we lost Virginia Tech, every day yeah. once it then became real that we could have the chance to do it and then we did it. There like, we go. It was just that whole force that full circle moment that was just so awesome for us. Well, and it wasn't just the full circle. It was, the, and this is the thing that really just fucks me up. It was the fact that um, Urban said we were going to do it and he figured out a way for us to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For this last section, guys, we're going to switch it up a little and try a different format and have some fun. Before we close this podcast talking about the legacy of this historic team, <clears throat> As you're both former players at Ohio State, I thought we could use your unique experience as a student athlete to gauge your opinion on a couple of issues that are facing college football in 2021. And then I wanna grab your insight on the 2014 team today. We're gonna to do this in a semi-rapid fire fashion. So here we go. First, two questions that deal with college football in 2021. Question number one, seven years into the college football playoffs, the format for deciding the eventual national champion has remained unchanged at four teams. A year ago, ESPN.com surveyed the 65 head coaches that make up the Power Five conferences and almost 50% of the coaches replied that they would like to see the college football playoff expanded to eight teams, including nine of 14 coaches in the Big Ten. Given the fact that you guys played under the current system, do you think the college football playoff should be expanded? Why or why not? Um, I, yes, I do think it should be expanded, but I'm of the opinion that it should be expanded without increasing the amount of games. Mm -hmm. And I say that to say Ohio State now in 2021 is going to play a national championship off of playing six games, not or mm -hmm. seven games or six games in the regular season. Not saying that that's, you know, the standard or yeah. every, you know, we just got to get six games through and then we can start going. But what I'm saying is why not take a game off? Why not take one of those out, you know, not out of conference, but Take a game off if you really want to be able to press the importance of the playoff and and, and of playing best at the end of the year um, without it having and resembling too much or without it looking like or resembling too much of the NFL. I just feel like that's you know easy way to give and take. But yes, I feel like it should be expanded, and then the give and take is how I feel like it could get done. 
Joshua. Well, I guess the question that I would ask is why are we expanding it? Are we expanding it so we can get more qualified teams in there so we can maybe change up who wins it every year? Are we expanding it just to see more football? Like I'd have to understand that. But for me personally, um, if we're trying to level the playing field, I don't think expanding the CFP helps with that. And I say that because kids know regardless of who could win a national championship, who's going to send the most guys to the league or like which coaches send which positions to the league, like quarterbacks you want, Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley. You know, if you're a, a defensive back, you're going to Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, right? So I think the talent still goes to where it goes to, even if you include more teams. Um, however, I think that I think that the way that the selection is made right now blows. I think mm-hmm. as long as people are making it, it's bad. Um, and you could expand it to include more teams. I think a six-team playoff would be my favorite type of format. I don't like an automatic bid. I'd like the computers to start picking it again and just go from there. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess, yes, I'd like to see it to a six-team format only because I want to see more good football, and yeah. that's it. Okay. Question number two. On co- on Fox's college football pregame show in the fall of this past year, 2020, your former coach, Urban Meyer, said that college football today is a dramatically different environment than it was in 2015. He mentioned things like the transfer portal, name and likeness legislation, and player empowerment as things that have risen to importance in 2020. What do you two think is the biggest issue or opportunity facing college football going forward? The biggest issue is still going to be just general likeness. Um, But that's also, I guess, an opportunity as well for (laughs) some of the folks that are going through it. Right. (laughs) But think about this. Right. Like. Again, we, we, we painted the financials of this in the, in the beginning for a reason, right? You know, yeah. we, we talked about how much ESPN was going to make on top of that 5.64, whatever billion for a reason, right? So the folks that are out there doing it, the employees or, or college football playoffs, sorry, or college <laughs> football players, I'm sorry, yeah. um, were out there the ones doing it. So at the end of the day, it's just, um, you know, that's the biggest opportunity for us to get right right because i just feel like whether it's getting families due money to go travel or it's you know an ability to proportionally you know put money aside at a, at a later date for guys to access given that your sure. you know your picture was up on the you know the um, the board that you walked by and you know high street or something like that right yep <laughs> you know because you, you still see your face all over the place so um, th- there's just ways to do it. Um, I don't know if I have those answers in this in this deal, but yeah. again, opportunity is the likeness. Problem also is the likeness. It's interesting, um, and I'll piggyback off of that and then throw a different option out there. But um, you know, people talk about well, if you if you do that, then college football becomes really unfair, as if you know the Power Five and Group of Five don't exist, and then even within the Power Five, it's the same handful of teams that are competing for championships every year. So I'm really not trying to hear that. And then there's the, well, what about unintended consequences and, you know, pay for play? I think the transfer portal is the same thing you just said, Evan. There's opportunities and then there's there's kind of downfalls to it. And the opportunity is for players to be able to move around a little bit more freely and find the place where they can go that fits their skill set the best. And we see it all the time. 
players get recruited by one coach or one staff and they're gone. You know, players just end up not maybe being as good as they thought they were going to be or players maybe even end up being better than they were supposed to be when they were 17 years old. And for them to find the right fit and for teams to capitalize off of it, we saw it in the Big Ten Conference, especially with Rutgers, where they got Brendan White, who won MVP of a Rose Bowl, who's a starting safety for them. They had Noah Vedral, who is their starting quarterback, who is a backup quarterback at Nebraska. I can go down the list. They had a bunch of guys who came out of the portal. So there's the benefit. But the downfall, and especially in the year that we're talking about for the 2020 season, um, as we record this, there are a ton of guys in the portal but schools are also up against guys being able to return with free eligibility regardless. And so does it get to a situation where there are too many guys in the portal for opportunities, or does it get to the other situation where there's a guy in the portal that's more attractive than somebody on the recruiting trail or somebody who's already on the roster and a coach ends up not renewing a scholarship to get a guy out of the portal. Yeah. And so I look at it and I'm here for players being able to move freely, but I also need them to understand the consequences of hopping in the portal. It might not end up the way that they think it would. Sure. The last question before we get to legacy, um, we threw this open to some fans and this is the most interesting one we got. Alan from Rockaway beach would like to engage you two in a rapid fire word association. Mm. Boy. This should be fun. Mm-hmm. He will give each of you five names and he would like okay. you to say in one sentence or less, the first thing that pops into your mind. Okay. Okay. You guys ready? Five each. I'll read them back and forth, but remember it's either one word or one sentence. That's it. Start, All right, Josh starts. Start with Joshua. <laughs> we'll, we'll stagger uh, it out. Yeah, okay. Josh, yeah, yeah, start that. Yeah, yeah, we'll we're going to go, go back and forth. There we go. Joshua. Urban Meyer. Intense. Nutcase and intense. Okay. Evan, John Cooper. Man, um, tough days against Michigan, but a great football coach. (laughs) Perfect. Joshua, Brady Hoke. Uh, Didn't wear a headset on the sideline. That bothered me. Okay. Joshua, Mickey Marotti. Um, I I thank him for my career because he got me right. Evan, Michael Thomas. Man. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the boy, Mike okay. can't guard him, Thomas. <laughs> okay. Joshua, Joey Bosa. Uh, best physical body control of a player wow. I've ever seen. Hundo. Evan, JT Barrett. True, natural leader through and through. Last two, Joshua, Jim Tressel. Recruited me to come to Ohio State. I also thank him uh, because I wouldn't have been there otherwise. Evan Urban Meyer. A figure that is definitely um, responsible for the man I am today. There you go. So here we are, fellas. The absolute last question of the podcast. And what better way to set this up than with a quote from our own Joshua Perry prior to the national championship? When asked about the importance of this game to you and what OSU football means, Joshua, you said, quote, I was telling people this, and when people ask me how it feels around town when I'm at home, I tell them it's something I've dreamed about for so long. When we were getting recruited, we said we were going to get to the national championship, and now we've just got to finish the deal here. It means so much to be able to do that, especially with the people behind me in the community 
and all that Ohio State means to people in Ohio and all over. It means a big deal. Both Joshua and Evan, with that backdrop, I'd like to ask you both this question. When players and fans alike get together and discuss the 2014 Ohio State football Buckeyes, what do you believe the enduring legacy of this team will be? Uh, human resiliency, hmm. uh, to be to be quite honest, that's that, that's what I see, right? Is because you saw tragedy that um, us humans definitely have a, a, a way to make a decision. You either go, you know, the wrong way or you go the right way. Um, so we experienced tragedy, but figured out a way to turn that into how we could better ourselves in our own practice. Yeah. So that resiliency is, you know, something that I'd still practice in, in, in my professional career and still practice as a man, still practice as a boyfriend, et cetera. Um, but that'll go down, you know, as our legacy and, you know, hopefully uh, mine as well. Joshua. That's a, a, a really good question. And I appreciate Evan's answer because I agree. And um, I would say that I hope folks look back at our legacy as a team that was led by one of the greatest leaders to ever put on a whistle um, that rose up against odds and came together in an uncommon way to achieve an uncommon goal. And it, what I hope stands out to people is how and I use the word uncommon twice and I use it purposefully, but how uncommon what we did was because it's not just winning the championship, which is generally just uncommon to be the best at what you do, but to do it how we did it, like Evan said, with all the tragedy, but also to to literally have the highest rated cable TV event up to that point to be the first to ever do it under the new system. Like everything was it seems like it was almost predestined for us yeah. to do it. But it was such an uncommon way that it was achieved that I hope people understand the gravity. And even when they look back years from now, um, can see that it, it wasn't this was not normal. This was extremely special. You guys remember when you were in college, you would get those little Harvard Business Review documents. This was this would be a great case study for a Harvard Business <laughs> Review. It really sure. would. But we have come to the end of quite a journey. And as Urban Meyer said after the Oregon game, this will go down as one of the great stories in college football history. And truly, no one person owns this story. Over the past 10 plus episodes, we follow the fascinating arc of this team. Joshua and Evan have offered their unique perspectives as athletes, teammates, and leaders of this vaunted team. They've shared recollection, recollections of games, plays, and speeches and offered anecdotes of coaches and fellow players with the goal of getting you, the listener, as close to the personality of this team, both on and off the field. I'd argue that no national championship team faced as much adversity and had to overcome more hurdles than this collective unit, and that's including the team here in 2020. Personally, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank both of you, 2014 Captain Curtis Grant, our producer Jeff Webb, and our co-creator Gavin Flickinger for giving myself and all Buckeye fans, a unique and never before look inside the walls of one of college football's most historic programs. It's been a pleasure to work with you guys. And sure has been. And to our listeners, if you liked our journey, we'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Mention us on, social, on your social handles and share it with another college football fan. 
We're also not afraid of good old fashioned word of mouth advertising. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. Once again, Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. And Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. Soon, we're going to embark on another journey with another exceptional team, and the details for that are going to be forthcoming on social media. But until then, always remember, when posed with the question, streets or sheets, <laughs> always, always choose streets. <laughs> you feel me? <laughs> for the team at Glory Days, Dreams and Nightmares, we are signing off. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Caldwell and presented by Branch Insurance. Coverage you need, savings you deserve. So Glory Days fans, insurance companies have figured out a way to make saving money on insurance complicated. Branch has changed that by simplifying the whole process of getting home and auto insurance. No complicated forms, no waiting on hold for long, no salesy talks with a representative. This means you go to their website, answer two quick questions, and they'll give you an instant price. Not a quote like some other insurance company, the actual price you'll pay. Branch is home and auto insurance that's simple to buy and build for savings. For better coverage, better rates, and a better experience, visit ourbranch.com forward slash glory. That's O-U-R branch.com forward slash glory.